Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. <laughs> what was that? Did a demon just achieve its final, most powerful form in our kitchen? No. My dad has a new girlfriend, and the girlfriend has a laugh. <laughs> Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing episode four of season two, Jesus, Allison. It was written by Grace Edwards, and the episode once again was directed by Anna DeCosa. This is Grace's first episode uh, writing for Kevin. She actually has several credits to her name on IMDb, but this is her first Kevin Can Fuck Himself episode. So welcome aboard, Grace. I like how you build yourself there with your Jesus, Allison impression. It was subtle y'all that was subtle but he was like <laughs> i was gonna try and do a patty and i was like nope nope i, I pulled up at the last minute i, I kind of did it though and then you like were pleased with yourself so you went like <laughs> maybe it's just an editor's ear but i heard the little like i'm so pleased with my little soap <laughs> i was i was gonna shush the end of the the words a little bit jesus allison you know kind of oh. but like I, I i pulled up on it i pulled up on it <laughs> Uh, just a community note, if you want to continue laughing with us in this conversation, please join us over on Facebook and Kevin Can F Himself Fans. Of course, we have much more serious conversations and we really delve into these characters and how they affect people's real lives because there's a lot of good stories that people are sharing. You can even share anonymously. So if you don't feel like you want to, you know, tell all your dirty laundry, you can still share and vent a little bit and, and get some, I think, some healing out of this show. Did someone say laugh? Oh my God. Mike, listen to me. Here's the deal on this one. I am a scare baby, okay? So I watched this episode for the first time in the dead of night, okay? I mean, the dead of night. The house was quiet. Just me. I'm literally laying on my belly, like, my, my cradling my, my face in my hands, feet up, like, total sleepover style, watching this on my bed. I hear that laugh and chills run through me. I'm like, what is that sound? I don't know if I can watch this without turning on all the lights. That was so fear-inducing, it wasn't even funny. <laughs> Just a reminder that we assume you have watched the episode, and so we are not going to go step-by-step step through it. So if you haven't watched it and you don't want to be spoiled on what happens, please stop, pause the recording now, go watch the episode, come back. Let's jump right into the title card was the old birthday cake with some schmeared writing in the, in the uh, UC position. Yeah. I feel like they're having a lot of fun with the title cards this year. The tone and, and the laugh track and the buzzing, much less pronounced, but I feel like they really went in on the budget for the title cards themselves. I think they've all been well done. I agree with you. I like I, In the previous season, I felt like it was a little more abstract. Like We'd have to watch for like what was the thing that matched up to the title card a little right. bit more. And this one, obviously, we have a birthday party. This is a birthday cake. We got it, you know, pretty... pretty 
pretty fast. But I agree with you. I love that they continue with it. I think it's a fun, cool, little stylized part of the show. Uh, let's talk about guest stars. This was the first time we've got to see Robin Lord Taylor back playing Nick this season. He appeared not in reality. Well, I guess, I mean, we do see him in reality, but he's still in a coma. But he appears several times throughout the episode, either in Allison's dreams or more often than not in this episode in her hallucinations. Uh, this was another element that scared the hell out of me. The the foreboding, creepy, hallucinated, like ghost like figure that's just like sitting in different places in her house or standing outside or whatever. Like this one scared me. Why is she having these hallucinations now? Is it because she's feeling guilt? Which I think is part of Allison's maturing and and becoming more aware of those outside of herself, which I think is is her arc this season. Is she feeling guilt about what happened to Nick? I mean, she is the direct responsible cause for him being shot. Or is it where I think more people would probably take it is that she is more worried about him waking up and what he represents as an unresolved thread. I mean, we know she's worried about him waking up and, and wreaking havoc on their their situation here. However, I mean, there is, of course, underlying guilt. I mean, she is a human. She she does have compassion and empathy and, and all those things. And she did not intend for this to happen. Like, you know, in the, in the big scheme of like what she thought was, you know, like the calculated risk, she didn't think Kevin would shoot him. I, I think... Yeah, there's tons of guilt, but the worry is real. The worry is so real. And I think it was so smart of the show to continue to bring in his mom, because then that makes it not just this man in a coma, which, you know, I don't know, maybe we were all a little desensitized from even like soap operas and stuff like that. But having a guy in a, in a hospital bed laying there quietly isn't actually that upsetting for most of us. But having his mom come in so long after, you know, this accident happened she's still visiting she said you know now they're not they're not even handcuffing him to the bed anymore all those kinds of things it makes it so much bigger and the consequences like rippled out so much further right i mean she also learns in this episode from tammy uh kind of indirectly or accidentally that the investigation is still ongoing that that the whole nick affair has not been wrapped up while nick draws breath he is a thread that can be pulled and unravel all of her uh, all of her plans and by extension patty's involvement too the pressure is on i think the hallucinations that we are seeing in this episode are very much motivated by 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 constantly learning that there are still connectors out there cindy is still around she is mm -hmm. all over this episode tammy is all over this episode and they all represent direct ties to nick and and by extension what allison did i i think it's interesting and i think a lot of people are probably going to wonder the significance of when he appears in her kitchen in that green chair yeah. and, and she focuses on that chair so much i think this is a nice little detail of the show because Nick never appeared in that kitchen. He never appeared in that seat. And yet it's the most lingering where she's really unnerved by him appearing in the kitchen. That kitchen is such a source of trauma for Allison, right? So I think, yeah. I think that's what the show is telling us. The show is just reminding us this kitchen is the site where a lot of bad things have happened, even though Nick himself never appeared in there. It's still a, a site of bad juju as it were. 
I'm going to also add that it's also the site where we've most seen Allison, especially in season one, be her true self. You know, the antics were going on in the living room and she would walk into the kitchen and reality would hit her in that room. And so the idea that Nick is actually starting to come all the way into her like inner sanctum, that's like her bat cave in there, right? And he's actually showing up now in there. There's something that feels especially like looming and threatening about being there in her kitchen. That's a great call. That's a great call. Yeah, the kitchen The kitchen is a huge role in this for Allison in a personal way. So Nick in the hallucinative form of Robin Lord Taylor is, is coming into her deepest, most honest, most stripped down parts of herself. And if you think about throughout this episode, I mean, we have we have even more moments, you know, with her and Tammy and stuff like that, that all are happening in this same spot. Man, I mean, it's it's somehow she's very stripped down and just very raw in that spot. And always caught off guard when she has mm-hmm. her confrontation with Nick. She's caught off guard. In this episode, uh, Tammy comes in. She f- she flings the cake batter onto the ground. She's caught up. She's startled. Uh, later in the episode, you know, Tammy has that conversation with we can, we'll play later about telling her to back off happens in the kitchen. It, it all happens in the kitchen. She finds out Kevin's running for office still in the kitchen. She smashes the glass in her hand. I mean, the big moment yeah. for season one. It's where she runs to when she has to leave in the very first scene of the show. She runs to the kitchen to, to catch her breath. So uh, let's talk about episode themes because I thought that there was a couple of things going on in this episode that permeated not only this episode, but I think also resonated through throughout or throughout the season anyway the first is it seems like everyone knows patty better than allison herself though allison would probably say patty is her best friend ostensibly how weird is it that she didn't know that it was her birthday i think it's incredibly sad that she didn't know it was patty's birthday but i don't know i don't know if i would use the word weird i mean just as a whole group they don't seem to like celebrate you know each other it's only kevin and so it's not a surprise to me and that patty definitely has like that sort of doesn't want the spotlight you know vibe about her who would have told her Everyone warns her, even Kevin, even self-centered Kevin warns her that having a party for Patty is a horrible idea. I think Sam was the biggest surprise for me because I'm like, I'm like, those two characters don't really have that much of a connection, Sam and Patty. Why would Sam know what Patty would want? I Well, you lead me to my next point. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> you are a segue master. Ostensibly, her two closest friends, Sam and Patty, both of them in this episode, and Patty's done it several times so far in season two, assume that Allison is doing the worst possible thing available in a situation when she comes to them. Does that say something about where she's gotten to and how her friends view her? Are, or, or are they being unfair? Throughout this season so far, Patty has assumed that Allison was going to continue to try try to kill Kevin. Sam makes the same leap of logic. Like, yeah, I can't be wrapped up in your murder plots anymore. And these are her best friends. Is that a fair assessment that she's brought on herself? Or is this just, you know, the hole she's dug for herself? I think it's fair on one hand for them to be skeptical. I think they do jump a little too far on some of the things and she obviously is getting her feelings hurt you can see her face is like what no it's fascinating how much they think she is capable of and at the same time how little faith they have in her 
because that feels like a real like disconnect. That is something I think I want to hold on to as as like paying attention to. Both Sam and Patty feel that Allison is primarily a taker and not so much a giver in relationships. And we this episode starts with that conversation. Patty says, "Sure, use me as bait," because uh, you know Allison's buttering her up, calls her a charmer. To, so that Patty will call Billy the PI because he's not returning Allison's calls. And that use me as bait thing plays right into this clip, this nice thing clip. It's your birthday? Tomorrow. Well, how come she knew and I didn't? I dealt to Cindy. You have like a bond. You have a bond. We broke into a house together. Did she get you off the hook for selling oxies to old ladies? The more times you bring up the one nice thing you ever did for me, the less nice it gets. I have done... More than one Even anything else. See? But yeah, I will go ahead and call your PI for you. Sure. You don't have to do that. No, no, it's fine. Because soon you'll be gone and it'll be like none of this ever happened, right? And so you have that. You have Sam when she first sees him in the beginning in, in last week's episode. It, he assumes she's going to ask him for money. Uh, it's like two weeks ago uh, episodes. She's he assumes she's going to ask him more for more money or or for some kind of help where she just wants to know if his uncle still runs the the pawn shop. He assumes that she's going to ask from him, and in fact, she does end up asking something from him in this episode. And she shows up again at Sam's at, at Bev's diner asking for help with the with a contact at City Hall kind of thing she is asking patty for something else again she is asking go call the pi for me because he won't call back my things but is still running on this one nice thing she did i like that patty brought that up to her because i don't think allison ever really stopped to consider you know she says it all the time but what have you actually done for me is it friendship if it doesn't run both ways it reminded me of this Facebook kind of memes thing that was floating around for a while. I'm not going to say it exactly right, but the gist is is pretty much what Patty says. If you bring up the nice thing you do for me on the bad day, that I don't want you to have ever done it for me at all, basically. What it means to me and what the what we're really digging at with Allison is is if if this is all really just kind of like this tally marked aka Kevin with his with his uh tally Board. Life, life, and versus Kevin. Yeah, using people isn't even it, that. That's it's so flimsy to even say it like that. It, it's like you view life as only a game of like basically putting your little chit in the jar only to expect to get that back, or at least to point to it as like reasons on a bad day. You know why you should why you should be okay with what I did because see, I did something nice for you. That type of mentality, like not just doing something for someone or being kind to someone out of your heart, like for my own self. I mean, there's plenty of times when I feel like I want to do something for someone, even if I'll never see them again. Like there's no there's no tit for tat right. necessary. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying I think a lot of people are like that. Like they're willing to to just do it. Because because it it feels like something that 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 person could use at that moment or or you want to be kind to them. So I think pointing this out and and they do a great job in this episode of pointing out different aspects of Allison through other characters. I think it happens a, a whole bunch of times it happens with a Cindy and Patty conversation, a Tammy and an Allison conversation. There's a lot going on here where aspects of Allison is really like put under a microscope and this is one of them where you know, I know that she is a traumatized person and I know that she's somebody who has been absolutely abused in, in her marriage. But also we've seen in a previous episode in her own growing up, she wasn't loved, 
you know, the way you would hope someone would be, you know, treated poorly by her mom, at least. We don't really know much about her dad. I don't want to be too hard on Allison in terms of like, you should be going around being like the kindest person on the earth, you know, like some Cinderella-y, you know, Mary Poppins-y kind of character. She's a human, you know, but she, but you do have to feed into a relationship. You do have to have, you know, a feeling that not everything is only just to be having some leverage later, you know, like that. That's not healthy at all. And it's definitely learned behavior. I think living with someone like a Kevin coming off of living with her mom, who we learn is a Kevin herself, one for you, one for me kind of living, because you're always kind of living by survival, right? You, you never really feel like you have a moment to act benevolently benevolently for benevolence sake a part of that survival too is you never want to look vulnerable and one of the things about being kind to other people or being open to other people is you have to be vulnerable you have to have some feeling of like almost like showing your belly a little bit and if it's something where like she grew up with her mom where she would be teased about that or chastised about that or you know like what are you going to get out of that why are you why are you like spending any extra time with that person or whatever you know like you can see where you would feel like I don't want to look weak and being kind to someone or doing something out of your way might appear like that. And I, I more than anyone have been hard on Allison this season, but I think it's important two things. And I want to make sure we, I say this out loud and I want to make sure it, it reflects kind of going forward. One, I think a lot of how Allison operates in her life comes from survival and and from just trying to keep herself above water because of her situation with Kevin. I don't, at the end of the day, fault her for a lot of the things she does, even though it comes off maybe as bad friendship or is, in fact, bad friendship. I understand why she's doing it. She sees that she has very limited options to get out from Kevin, and she can never know happiness. She can never know her own life, her own freedom while she's in that situation. We can never lose sight of that. We, this is an abused person who is just trying to keep living the next day. Two, I think she's trying. And I think this episode is a big step in that. Because once she hears this conversation with Patty, she learns about the birthday. Patty puts her on blast for only having ever done one nice thing to her. Fresh from hearing most every day, you suck, Allison, just the other episode. And her saying meekly, yes, I know that too. All of these things, Allison, I think, is trying. I think she's finally really trying to be the friend that she hasn't really been so far. And that's what sets her on this path of this episode. This ill-advised birthday party is her trying. And it pays off because at the end of the day, Patty acknowledges that it was a very bad party. But also, no one had ever thrown her a party before. And so she thanks Allison for it. See, and that's where I I go circling back to where you're saying, you know, is it that everyone else knows Patty better than Allison or do they? Because at the end, Patty is actually really happy that someone would put in the effort just for her. And even though she doesn't want to be in the spotlight and she and obviously this party is ridiculously full of like silliness that goes wrong. At the same time, that amount of effort put into 
you know, wanting to celebrate for her and wanting to say, like, you deserve a good day, even if I'm incapable of putting that together for you, because I don't really know exactly what a good day looks like for you. She is actually happy with that. I'm going to challenge the people who say, like, you know, maybe a surprise party wasn't exactly right, but but Allison wasn't completely barking up the wrong tree here. Patty definitely gives her the the A for effort. Here's the thing. <laughs> she's trying. I, I, she's not all the way there, Allison, because she she does this nice thing, ill-advised as it may have been. Patty does appreciate it. But what does she say then? Now I've done two nice things for you? Tally stop keeping tally, Allison! Just <laughs> let it be! Good. Oh yeah. my god, and they laugh about it, but still, like, you know she's thinking that. She's like, now I've done two nice things for her. Yeah, yeah, that's an that's excellent pointed out of a learned behavior there. So, you know, Allison, baby steps, but at least she's moving in the right direction. Let's get to the other really deep analysis on Allison in this episode, and that comes via way of her and Tammy spending by far the most time they've ever spent together, alone time together on the show. Overall, what did you think of Allison and Tammy together? Did this episode humanize Tammy to you or further alienate her from from you? Because Tammy's getting a lot of heat in the fandom. Not a lot of Tammy stands out there. You know, I've said this whole time that I've had a rough time with Tammy. I really have. While they absolutely gave more depth to her character, it doesn't mean I like any more of what I've seen because the details that we get, everything about Bram and the entire storyline of what Bram asks her to do and she does it and she she really ends up being like the butt of this situation and everyone knows and she's humiliated. Everything that goes on with that, you'd think that she would have more compassion in in a bigger way. Okay. That because she does have small moments of compassion. She obviously has compassion and understanding when it comes to Allison and her choices with Sam. And she acknowledges, like, I get why you would do that. Like, I see Kevin for what he is, and I get it. But she still has such a streak in her, such a controlling streak with Patty that I cannot overlook. You know, it, it would it would seem disingenuous to me, like in any way to give her any credit for her good moments, because I'm like, but you're just a Kevin in Tammy's clothing. It would be like me giving credit for Kevin for helping out with the party. I can't give him any credit because, you know, it's it's all self-serving. And this whole story and everything that she's saying with with Allison, while it feels very much like, okay, they're they're bonding in some way. She understands she's also someone who's who's been, you know, taken advantage of or been sucked in by a Kevin situation. Her intense need to control Patty and who Patty can see and spend time with, that's a hard stop for me like that flag is so red i can't go in for it how are you feeling about tammy well let's drill down a little bit let's compare and contrast because you you brought up the two scenes that i think really I did you guys i really muddled the outline <laughs> well it's good though because I, I think you brought up the two specific scenes that show very different aspects of tammy which are going to tear people be like oh you, you listen to this hey i've met your husband i get it really what else are you supposed to do? Uh, a lot of people would say I should get a divorce. <laughs> right. Like, that's easy. I know guys like Kevin. They're just... You remember my partner, Bram? 
Yeah. He asked me to plant evidence for him once. He beat the hell out of some guy. Known drug dealer, all around scumbag. But his place was clean. Bram messed up and I fixed it. And everybody knew. I don't even know how he got me to do it. So, yeah. I don't think you're a bad person for cheating on Kevin McRoberts. This is a huge clip because one, Patty compares Bram to Allison, right? When she's talking to Tammy or trying to talk Tammy down off the ledge about Allison, she says, I have to deal with Allison because we're in so much close quarters together the same way you have to deal with Bram. Here you have Tammy comparing Bram to Kevin, which by the transitive property all says that Bram, Kevin, and Allison are all kind of the same person, which is its own damning assessment. She gets it. She get When she says, I don't even know how he got me to do it, is there a more Kevin-esque description than that? All these people are doing all these things for Kevin all the time, and Allison herself often wonders, Kevin just gets what he wants all the fucking time. So she gets, she really does seem to understand the idea of a Kevin and why Allison would cheat on her. And I love the fact that she understands a divorce is not easy to get. So many people, even still now, even today, I know there are comments pending in our Facebook group. Why doesn't she just leave him? Why doesn't she just get a divorce? Guys, it's not that easy. I am so Someone who is divorced, it is not something that you can just do. It has a lot of ramifications, financial, emotional, if there are kids involved, which there aren't here. It's a whole thing. Divorce is not just something you can walk away from, especially if you're the abused person in an abusive relationship. It is not something you can just easily do. I loved Tammy in the scene, and I love the empathy she was showing for Allison here. It was one of my favorite scenes, again, in terms of just addressing head on a question that the audience is asking. You know, why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't she get a divorce? This was so important. And I appreciate it because it was sprinkled throughout this episode, different moments where it was like, hey, you know, that thing you guys are continuously like thinking about in the back of your head, we're going to face it head on again. And we're going to have a different character tell you why this isn't an easy option for her and why we're not doing it that way. And a different character who does not like Allison. Uh, Allison's biggest enemy is still uh, her biggest enemy on the show saying, I get it. It gives, it gives so much, um, you know, just credit and legitimacy to Allison and and her her saying this isn't easy to do. Tammy's coming from a completely different angle, and she's saying this would not be easy to do. And and because of my line of work, and because of the people I, I'm hanging around with, whether they be other cops or whether it be guys I see come through the system, I know Kevin's, and I'm telling you this would not be easy to do. So perfect i'm so glad that they actually addressed that this is the best of tammy what we just played now here is the worst of tammy (laughs) this comes at the end of the episode when allison has pulled tammy into the kitchen to light the candle on the cake let's take a listen not sure this required two people (laughs) i wanted to include you no i know that's my way of saying thank you can't wait to tell patty that we got out of this actually liking each other (laughs) i don't like you that is, that's very rude. No, it's not. It's true. And you don't like me. It's fine. People don't have to like each other. No, I, I like you. No, you don't. You don't like that I'm around all the time, and I don't like that you are. It's fine, really. But here's the thing. I should be around all the time. Me and Patty are together, and that's the point. 
And I don't know exactly what it is you want from her, but maybe you should just back off a little. You had a great description. Describe viewers <laughs> what we see there with the lighting of the cake and the here's the thing. Because you, when we were talking about this, I think you had the perfect take on it. Oh, Lord. Well, that's a lot of pressure because I don't know. I have to go to Time Machine for the perfect take. But I can tell you just my gut instinct to that was, man, when you light a candle like that and then you say whatever you're going to say, you have put this like ticking time clock on this conversation because the other person, you can't keep talking because the candle's burning, right? So you've like created this this little like trap where it's like you can't guess what it's like set and like i have to go or it's gonna go off right right very tricky very manipulative to me and here's the thing that bugs me about this who said because you're in a relationship you're not allowed to have friends or Mm -hmm. in any way interact with other people tammy you you cannot say that you belong there and that she's not allowed to have someone else in her life. And it's up to Patty to determine the quality of that other person. You know, if she wants to not hang out with Allison, she has the option. She has her own reasons that Tammy doesn't know. And that's fair. God, it makes my skin like tingle because it just it feels like just classic abusive behavior is to cut you off from everybody else who could ever question what you're doing i love brutal honesty i am all about it i think it's refreshing when people just say what they mean but man tammy really could could to dial it back a little bit she knows this woman is important to patty so when you take this whole conversation and this i don't like you you don't like me but let's not fuck around about it like whatever but and also by the way i should be here and you should back off you take that together together with the you're an only child comment you never learned to share from earlier in the episode thank god tammy is a police officer that allison is currently terrified of you say to someone yeah you seem like an only child you never learned to share that's some fucked up stuff to say to someone that you don't know very well it's not like it's not like you've grown up together and so you had that kind of carte blanche to say whatever you want to say to your best friends or people you've known forever you've known this one for a hot second and you're saying you're saying these things to her ballsy super ballsy and and a little too brutally honest beyond being super controlling well, and I'm sorry, who doesn't know how to share? The woman who said only right. I'm allowed to have Patty? Right. Right, right. I mean, what the hell is that? Like, I mean, no, dude. I I, hmm. I have a lot of question marks about about Tammy. And guess what? All of these characters, I'm really proud of Valerie Armstrong for coming up with a way to make them complex because it would be really easy to have any single one of them play only the good guy, only the bad guy, only the whatever. Everybody has some demon Kevin-ish portion in their life and everybody has some selfishness in their life and everybody has some part of them who is a little bit compassionate and a little bit understanding, but it's just kind of like how the those ingredients like spin together and and that's who you get you get you can throw the same stuff in the blender and end up with a tammy or end up with an allison or end up with a kevin if a bram is a kevin is an allison then isn't an allison a bram then isn't a bram also an allison and like you know you kind of start realizing like wow they're all kind of made up of the same things at the end of the day though i'm going to tell you how it shakes out for me is i still don't like tammy (laughs) (laughs) i still don't like her i i just for me Any person who cuts you off from other people is a person you should have 
extreme reservations about. I mean, extreme. You should get to choose who you spend time with. And you know what? Do we all make bad decisions? Do we all sometimes pick people and spend time with people who maybe aren't the best for us? Maybe, maybe we do. But you know what? That's called being an adult and getting to make choices for yourself. Not okay that Tammy really overparents Patty. No, here's the deal with Patty, though. She begs to be parented because she didn't have much of a of an upbringing that included parents. So she's one of those people who really, really has that vibe about her. Like, she will listen, you know, if, if Tammy keeps saying like, oh, God, the whole thing with the drink at the party. Oh, I thought I'd like trained you out of choosing beer kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, I was like throwing up all over the place. Y'all like, listeners, you got to understand the, the, con- the recur- recurring theme of Tammy trying to change Patty's drink without her consent is a real trigger for Caroline. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've watched this episode live with her. And it, it like she's curling her fist, making growling noises. Because it's a thing. It's like, oh my God, it's like something that you're gonna ingest in your body and you are going to train me out of it. Fuck yourself. I mean, my God. Like, there are such few things. Like, it's like potty training and eating. Those are like the two things as like a little kid that you have like any control of of the situation, right? Like, that's it. And and I feel like when you get down to like that primitive level, I can't even just order the drink I'd like to drink on my birthday. I have to do something to to be what you want me to be even on my birthday. Here's live audio of Caroline in those scenes. Oh, no. God damn it. Yeah, she's just... just. It's not right. Yes. God damn it. Hold up a second now. You can talk <laughs> You can talk about me, but you haven't had plenty of life experience of someone or, or someone's trying to sculpt you in some way that they wanted you to be, and it just was, like, horrible. But no, of course. And it, it pisses me off. It drives me crazy, too. I You just have such a good reaction to it. I am an internal stewer. I will just... I will just keep a mental list of of the offenses uh, until I explode and there will be no context for when I do. Tammy is, in a lot of ways, the most Kevin-y Kevin of the show. P.S. That's not frightening at all. You, like, bottle it all up and then without context, you're going to explode. Not frightening at all. Not frightening at all. Uh, one day, Tammy and I will just be having a drink and I'll be like, I don't want a fucking gin! God damn it, motherfucker! And See, it, but like, you know uh, what? I know you better than that. I feel like you like walk out of there and you just never talk to her again. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. <laughs> that's probably true, actually. Just suddenly she's just dead to you. Yeah, I, I do go the dead to me route. That That is, yeah. And, and for most people, I the majority of the people I know, I can never talk to again and I won't ever think about them. Damn. See, that? that's some shit, man. Well... See this show, you guys? It's making us talk through our trauma. Here's the deal. And I'm going to go back to what I said about being someone who would like go out of their way to be nice to somebody. I'm not trying to say that's like a good trait that I have. Sometimes that is a trait that can get me in a lot of trouble because it is easy to pick the wrong person to hang around with and spend time with. It is easy to put a lot of energy into someone who I shouldn't. But because I have that overwhelming need to want to help someone, I do that. And I can see that in passion. I see that quality that they're showing me of like, she she can say like, Allison, I know you don't do anything good for me. And, I, and let's not even quantify that as you don't like physically throw me a party or you don't do whatever, right? But like, you're not a good 
vibe in my life. You don't bring good things to my life. I'm not happier at the end of the day because we hung out necessarily. You know, like I may have done stuff I didn't want to do because I hung out with you, Allison. There's still something to that soft heart of Patty that I'm so glad they kept as part of her character. Well, that hasn't been lost yet. Despite all of the trauma, despite all of her own abuses that she's been put upon, her her natural state is soft-hearted openness. And can I say they actually like visually showed that in this episode? Because this was this was one of the first times I noticed like she had like a little silk robe that she wore when she was like getting ready. Like she has this softer, I'm going to say like delicate, more fragile side to her. I was even like going through in my brain, like she seems like the type of person who actually would have become a barber in a setting like this, not necessarily a hairdresser because a barber, that's very practical. That's there's, there's good money in that. It's very quick. It's very easy. There's something about the, the hairstylist side for, for people who go to a hairstylist versus a barber, the like massaging your head on the, or the careful way that you would put high lights in or different things there's a lot of like loving care that comes from being a hairdresser including talking out people's problems and things like your client would know your birthday um you know things like that because because while cindy is yes her pill client i believe at some point was also her actual hair client um although we have to talk about this lady's hair at the uh, at the party because i was like falling out of my chair about the lack of that's terrible oh lord when it was like all these women are her clients and they come in and they all have like literally the worst hair ever i was like <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Patty's uh, hair is always so nicely done. It wasn't something I had really considered, but when you brought up, like, I, I think the quote I had in my notes was the surprising femininity of Patty. It, it, you're and right. Her just delicate side. Her soft, really, like, she has, like, a makeup table. You know, she's not somebody who just puts it on in the car on the way to work, which plenty of women do. She's not someone who just, like, shoves a couple of things. Like, she has, like, little, like, you know, bottles and things that Ablutions. she Ablutions. Yeah, she goes through the trouble of having the nice things that Tammy likes for her hair and skin. Which is That's huge. That's a really big huge. deal. And I appreciated that they point out that Tammy is a person of color and so that's even extra important. Black women hair is even more important that you use the right products and stuff. Shows that not only she's a great person, but I mean, I'm going to say frankly, she's a great hairdresser. Like she paid attention and cared to have the right products for somebody that she wants to have, you know, the nice things. Very caring, really wonderful, just couple one-liners or wardrobe choices that just really gave Patty that much more depth. So in in response to this kindness, Tammy informs Patty that she had basically done a deep dive into all of her personal information to discover her birthday, to discover that she had a shoplifting uh, record from when she was, what, 16 for shoplifting a pink thong. I mean, I think she's going for romantic here, but it just kind of comes off as creepy intrusion. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I think that that is a very uh, now social media kind of conversation to have about, you know, when you start dating someone. So so you're a divorced single man. Is it normal for you to like if you were going to go out on a date with someone to kind of like check out, you know, a little bit of their online profile and like how far is too far? Obviously, we <laughs> she did almost like a full background check on her. Yeah, she checked like police further. records. She, she didn't check her tweets. <laughs> she like right? she used her police 
powers and pulled up her record. So what's normal though? Like what what do you think is pretty typical? Like, you know, checking out some LinkedIn, checking out some tweets. I definitely checked out someone's LinkedIn. That is for sure. Am I a dork for having said that? No, I, I mean I have a, <laughs> I, I have the link I have the LinkedIn app on my phone. Like, so. Am I a dork? Like you made it sound like you're like a LinkedIn. Well, I mean, you nerd. I, like, oh geez. I, I don't think that's the first app most people think of. Is the oh, thing? Oh shit. Like, okay, the, fine. Instagram, the, the Facebook, what? Instagram, Facebook. Twitter. Right. I, yeah, I mean, I presumably someone I'm going to go out on a date with, I would be familiar with their social media presence. You know and. and do basic screening make sure they're not some kind of weird neo-nazi or you know some other horrendous right. heinous kind of person but i don't think i'm probably doing a lot of deep dive because because it only paints a very specific kind of portion and also i being a human living in the 21st century i understand that social media often is a persona that does not that does not reflect the true person i myself have a social media presence that does not reflect who I actually am. It reflects the persona that I have as someone who is on social media and also someone who does podcasting and puts themselves out there on a weekly basis across a multitude of different shows. So I have a persona that is not who I am. I would not like someone to necessarily judge me on on my social media presence, but instead give get a chance to get to know me. But I also probably be, be, be not going to let you get to know me unless I choose for you to get to know me. So maybe it is the only way you can know me is by my social media presence. So it kind of cuts both ways. <laughs> I, I That was a little circular, but I guess my point is, yes, I would check it out, but I probably wouldn't draw a lot of conclusions from it because I would assume most of it is... It's a version of the person, A version, right? a, a, a calculate, a, a curated, that's the yeah, word, a curated, very. a very curated version of someone's life. I want to have some sense of their personality or something before I would want to spend time with them which is kind of silly i know because you know i mean we didn't have that growing up or anything and we certainly didn't judge people by it and i think we've come past the point where you could really glean that much from social media because of how you use the word curated but i'm gonna say even protective and it's so specific what people say on social media anymore if they're i mean i I think the majority of people i know at least are you know they're, they're you don't really get to know someone now next step that background check step mm. okay i've Ooh. never run a credit check or criminal record <laughs> check on any prospective date uh that i've ever had i and you know she's in a unique position obviously in her profession having access to that so easily you know it's it maybe we have to give it a little bit of like less weight because it's just like she could just type her name in the computer so she's not like well she's not like paying a background check right? i want to I pause because oh, of okay. my because of my job i yeah. have unfettered access to every court record in the country and I, I could check people constantly, but I don't. I mean, I, I, because of my job, I have access to a lot of personal information about people, but I don't. Like, but you don't why? have to do because it's not your business. That's if you're going to learn about the pink thong shoplifting, it's because you're in a relationship with her yeah. and it's going to come up organically, not because you did your, your due diligence. Remember, <laughs> we have to go all the way back uh, to how these two started. Tammy didn't come in and was just like, hubba hubba, hachi chachi, you know, uh, you could dress my hair. No, she was you a suspect. dress my she, hair. She was a suspect nice. in the Fiori drug bust ring. Like, their right, relationship was right. based out of a criminal investigation in right. which Tammy 
immediately put on blinders to Patty culpability, even though, honestly, we talked about this last season. Why wasn't she more of a suspect? We initially thought that, that Tammy was doing the long, the long pull in that Patty was a subject of that Fury drug bust investigation. No, she was just using it for pickups. You know, so yeah. I maybe you see where she plants the evidence for Bram that that those that those those gray lines, you know, maybe get blurred a little bit easy for Tammy. Well, and to be fair, I think that that is realistic. I mean, people are not so black and white, you know, people are not like, oh, I always just play exactly, you know, within the rules. Like the idea that she would be at work and have the ability to just type in her name and find out a little bit about her. Now, here's what makes me a little bit sad. Now, I know we're the audience, so she has to say some of these things out loud in order for us to be a part of the to the, the, the knowledge, right? But I was sad for for Patty that Tammy would take the fact that she had gone into her background and found something like the pink thong and said it so casually and like really, oh, I just, I have such protective feelings towards Patty that I'm like, why would you just be so casual and blase about the fact it would embarrass anyone, anyone to have stolen anything, right? Th- then you're talking about underwear. Then you're talking about a thong. Like you're just layering on this, this level for me, I'm going to say, maybe I'm alone on this of just like humiliation of like, oh my God, you like stripped me bare with a one line throwaway comment, you know? <laughs> humiliation intended as a form of subjugation. She was yes. doing that to get a power advantage. That's the only mm. reason to bring that up. It wasn't casual or cute or fun. It's one thing to know it. And honestly, if she had known it and didn't say anything about it, well, I wouldn't have minded because I wouldn't have known. She she knew this information that had no bearing on, on today and used it. She said it out loud. That's what's offensive to me because it was for nothing other than just increasing her power status in a relationship. Yeah, it was a leverage feel like and and the deal with that, too, is that she didn't have to play it that way. She could have known and she could have played one of those like, you know, oh, my gosh, have you ever gotten in trouble with the law like that? Kind of, like she could have like kind of teasingly, you know, I don't know, pillow talked some sort of something where you end up saying like, oh, my gosh, I did this really embarrassing thing and my mom wouldn't buy me this thong. And she could have had that like a bonding moment out of it yeah you could have played never have i ever with like a drinking game you know and you could have gotten that information out there i don't know maybe we're exposing way too much about how we would like play around with information listen i've stolen a lot of pink thongs i don't want people throwing that up in my face (laughs) you just want it out there you know what you know what it is you want control of your own fucking story mike like all of us like patty wants control of her own story so why are you going to jump on her and you know like we do in like we're we're podcast partners one of the things that being a great podcast partner is is not jumping on the other person's line right not telling the punchline not exposing the secret letting them tell their story that's what bugs me about this is that here is Tammy essentially telling us the audience Patty's story and that bugs me because I like Patty and we knew her first and I want to know Patty's story from Patty and I'm sad that Tammy stole her line like that, you know, and just took took the information away from her. 
Do we give Tammy any girlfriend points here for saying Allison could come away on their little getaway trip that she's proposing for her birthday? That she says, and you, you know how Tammy's making an attempt to allow Allison to be in Patty's life? She tells her that she's making an attempt to allow her to be in her life, which is uh, the best way to find out information is when the person just tells you, not not through their actions. Do we give Tammy any, any girlfriend credits here for voicing this desire, being like, I understand this whole bit is your friend and if you want this whole bitch to be in our life well i guess we'll allow this whole bitch to come like i mean that's kind of but that's that's the subtext of what she says i mean i i mean you're saying give credit i mean i think that's kind of like a strange concept but i mean i guess well it's a very low bar we're starting with here as tammy as loving partner so well so here's the deal since when does one person get to decide who comes Mm. like if two people are going on a trip the one person doesn't say I'll allow you unless again it's a child I'll allow you to bring a friend <laughs> that's something a parent says not something a partner says I can't stand that feeling of like Patty doesn't need you to tell her she can invite somebody on a birthday trip you know if you guys are going on a birthday trip and she feels like she wants to invite whomever she wants to invite that's her prerogative she doesn't need to ask your permission you know it's like you're just discussing plans together as two even people and i never feel that way i never feel like that tammy allows her to be 50 50 oh i i think for everyone who doesn't like tammy you know i i see you guys so hard because i just really feel like she doesn't allow patty to be patty and that is the only thing i want patty to be is just get a chance to be herself and not feel like you know we know we know from all the context clues though they don't they don't really delve into this that hard when it comes to her sexuality she has not been able to be who she wants to be and so to have the first person in your life who you've decided you're going to go ahead and try to be who you really are shut down every other aspect of your personality like you can be gay but you can't drink that and you can't have that friend and your brother's a jerk and you can't do like oh my god like i just i i allowed myself to have one door open only to have this person come in and try to close all these other doors to me or Uh, or how about patty you can be gay but don't date cops (laughs) yeah cindy uh it it was so nice of you to come uh you might want to get out of here because Tammy's friends. Yeah. I remember who she is. You're taking cops now. She's also a woman. Can you be shitty about that instead? You really think it's a good idea with what you do? I don't do it anymore. Yeah, that's kind of selfish. Selfish? Cindy, it was illegal. Oh, yeah, so, so it's crossing the street on a Sunday. These are your people. What, what are you just going to leave them out in the cold because what? You're so high and mighty now? I'm not. That's right. You're not. But you're trying to be. I mean, when you're ready to kick this phase and help us out again, give me a call. So much to dissect there. Uh, let's start with the fact that this is Patty's version of the ham people conversation, right? We, we spent a lot of time last week talking about Allison and her mom, and you can't shoot above your, your class, right? Classism is, is the trying to be more than you are is, is the greatest offense you can commit to someone like Allison's mother. And that's kind of how Cindy's coming at her now. Th- this idea that dating a cop is a betrayal of her and her people and all that she should stand for let's start there what's your take on this conversation with cindy what's your take on this you're not better than us high and mighty conversation 
again, I was using it as like this blanket statement, including Allison. Like I know it was said between Sydney and Patty, but it was kind of like they've used these other conversations throughout this particular season, I think because we're trying to hurry up. And there is that feeling. I don't know if you're feeling that, Mike, but the but the pace feels picked up mm-hmm. to me a lot. And we're trying to get in a lot of these moments. And so I, I feel like they're peppered throughout with different characters talking to each other. But really, you could apply them all back to our main character, Allison, you know, the constant need to like stay in your place and be what I feel most comfortable with you being. I read this thing about how people in your life, most especially your family, most especially your parents, call you the nicknames or refer to you in a way that is the time in your life when they had the most control over you. Because there's something about wanting you to stay in that box. For for me, I'll just, I'll be like real honest with you guys. My mom really doesn't have any comfort level with me dressing like I'm going to say like sexy or sassy or anything. Like if I show any cleavage or anything, there's a real like pushback on that. Not out of modesty, but there's like a thing about like, I can't see you like an adult grown person. And when I like kind of read more about that, I was like, that just makes sense that people want to keep you in the box of like where they had the most control or the, or their comfort level was the most. So for Cindy, I don't want you dating anyone that would confront our relationship as you being my drug dealer and me being a drug addict. I can't have you date anyone that creates like conflict for that, you know, because that's the where I'm most comfortable seeing you. So I need you to stay in this box. And so if you don't stay in that box, then you're quote better than me, or you're trying to be something you're not. And that's such a tricky concept, right? Because it's not that Patty wasn't other things than a drug dealer. She certainly was, but Cindy can only be comfortable if she she maintains a lifestyle that which would include you can't date a cop if you're a truly my drug dealer you have to stay in your box oh I mean, yeah i mean patty even has to make the plea to her to be shitty about being a lesbian over dating a cop the, the idea that the I classism that the classism is a worse offense than the lesbianism in this situation not that and neither of them are bad but let's look at the trigger words because i think what you're talking about is extremely important for listeners and this conversation, I think, is extremely important for listeners to, to pick up on the buzzwords that people like Cindy, the people like that, that interact with Alan and try, uh, Allison and try and keep her in her box, the Tammies that try and keep Patty in her box, the Cindy's that try and keep Patty in her box. Let, let's look for the clue words here that these people use. They use the word you're being selfish. They use the words when you're done with this phase. That when she says when you're done with it, when you kick this phase, you know, give me a call. Selfish phase this idea of turning it on its head and making you the bad guy for self-improvement for being your truest self for doing self-protection that's all allison and patty are trying to do in this show they're trying to be themselves they're trying to be their most authentic selves they're trying to survive they're trying to get out of bad situations and you have all of these people these bastards trying to grind them down calling them selfish saying it's a phase saying they're high and mighty saying they're not ham people it's it's constantly pulling them back down to keep them in the box that suits them but it makes you the the person being put upon feel like you're crazy feel like you're in the wrong feel like you're the villain patty is at her own birthday party and being told she's a villain because of who she's in love with that's fucked up and and i think we all can relate to that we just don't always see it 
I think the con- the concept of a phase is so fascinating to me because like, so when you think of something like a phase, what do you think of? I think of something like phases of the moon or something like that, right? Or maybe you think of a little kid and you might say, oh, that's yeah, just Yeah, I think phase, phases right? of like maturation, right? Like going through like biting or bedwetting or... Okay, fascinating though, because again, like I just said, what we use it for other things too, like phase of the moon, right? Like changes and and like the cycle of things. I think it's interesting that we should be ashamed to be going through a quote-unquote phase and i think that's something that again comes from like this childhood portion of like we only associate going through a phase with something negative when really it's not all of phase really means is that you're changing you're changing into something that looks different feels different whatever right but that's it's being used really as a, but it's really being used with a negative connotation you're you're changing but in a bad way that's how it's being used here but it's funny because it's accurate to say you're going through a phase but it's like all the feelings you wrap into it, really. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm going through a phase. I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm learning. I'm, I'm changing. I'm doing new things. That's not a bad thing, you know. Like we don't need to look at that in a bad way. But you're right. Excellent trigger words. Definitely, listeners, pay attention to those because I think that Valerie's doing a great job of like highlighting, underlining, you know, making sure that you're really paying attention to like when those people say that. Why are we thinking of that as a negative thing? And is it just because we've tended to use use it as, you know, little kids, really, Um, when in reality, in nature, it's totally natural to have phases, phases of, you know, seasons or growth or whatever, like that's normal and natural and encouraged and and a part of what we should be doing. The lesson is when someone is telling you you're going through a phase and meaning it in a negative connotation, a bad thing that you need to get through so you could be who you actually are again. Or go back. They want you to go back. Right. To revert to what you were. Like this phase is just like a like a momentary kick and soon you'll come to your senses. When someone is using it that way, be suspect of why are they using that way? Because there's a very good chance that they're trying to control you or manipulate you in some way. If someone is not encouraging you in evolution and changing, we should always be evolving. We should always be changing. We should always be questioning who we are versus who we want to be or who we should be. And staying in a bad marriage because you refuse to get out of that phase that's not a good thing phase out of that bad marriage if you can (laughs) right don't don't let someone say that you're going through a phase and mean it in a bad thing so they can control you hey how does star trek what did they say they use phase what do they say i know it's like phasers right well phasers is a weapon right right but what does it do well phasing is like a weapon that will either stun or kill you yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah. Control your brain on that. Gene Rodden, very smart. Like it could stun you or kill your your old self. <gasps> oh. It changes your it changes your face from alive to dead. That version of yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I think that's fascinating. I'm super interested in how Valerie is really trying to make sure that the the audience is understanding and seeing the different ways that even someone like Cindy, who for for you know, think about the the purpose of Cindy in this entire storyline. You wouldn't think that she's someone who's trying to have control or manipulate anyone, right? Like she's just a side character. She's Nick's mom. Like she's the she's the druggie. Like why are we like trying to put a lot of attention on what Cindy's doing? But even Cindy is trying to put some control over Patty. Like God, that is a lot. For me, the saddest part of this whole conversation was when Patty had to say, can't you be shitty about that? Why does she have to be shitty about anything to you, Patty? Because that's what they're used to. Everybody Because that's what she's that. used to. Oh, I, I'm giving my own segues. Let's listen to this. <laughs> Let's listen to this clip. We can't cool it for like two hours. 
I'm mixing, aren't I? You went to the snack stand. Where are my nachos? You always just burn your mouth and complain all day. Yeah. You buy them for me and I complain. On my birthday, we come to the rink, you show off on the ice, I fall, you make fun of me, and then you buy me the nachos with the cheese that's too hot. It's the one thing that you or any anybody does for me. It's what we've done every other year. Yeah, well, it's not every other year. Is it? You really thought that it was? Come on. Why are we even here? Good question. Why do we stay with things that hurt us or make us uncomfortable? I think this clip goes a long way in, in talking about that. We all crave predictability, even when the predictable outcome hurts us. Right. You know, there's there's at least, you know, what's coming. You know, there's there's something to that that has its own level of comfort, comfort, basically, you know, even though it's a terrible thing. The quality of the thing ends up not mattering as much as the predictability that the or comfort that the predictability of the thing provides. Again, Valerie, so smart. You cannot underestimate how important predictability is in especially i think in a situation like this where nothing is consistent for allison except for the predictability of kevin's antics and like the there's going to be another thing after that right like they don't have any consistency when it comes to like their finances or even just just anything that you could try to lean on to say like well at least that's very stable like the only thing she can predict is the fact that there's going to be another like crazy antiquey thing that happens and that becomes comfortable, you know, like messy, right? Like mm. we're as human beings, we try, we're, we are infinitely able to adapt and, and try to make sense of our situation and we can make the most odd situations seem normal. I was, I was reading some tweets this week um, where people were saying one of the things about getting married is you find out how weird your, your childhood was. And people were giving different examples of like things they said that they didn't know other households didn't say, you know, uh, someone was giving the example that they say, they call the, the end of the bread. What do you call the end of the bread? Like the, the last heel. piece of bread, the heel. Some people call it like the butt, right? His family called it a knobbler. And he just said it out loud, like, oh, I'll have the knobbler. And the, and, and the whole rest of the people are like, what? Like, what the hell is that? Like, you almost like create these like worlds that like you don't realize that other people don't live like you. You don't realize that other people don't say the things or endure the things you're enduring because you've just made them how, you know, this is this is normal for me. So I'm going to try to just keep it as is. Uh, this I think the scene was important too because of the glimpse into Patty and learn be we were talking about learned behaviors and predictability of of patterns even the shitty nachos and the ice skating which she's so horrible at I mean how can someone be yeah. so bad at ice skating who does it at least once a year every year their entire life on their birthday but she's still so bad at it it's a miserable time she's just sitting on the bench but still it's the only that she says until Allison throws her to the party it's the only thing someone's ever done for her on her birthday and so so she'll take it, whatever it is. Also, huge clue is how desensitized she is to violence. She gives a little, ooh, when he smashes the bottle on the ice. But, but that is barely. a violent, yeah. that is a violent thing he does. And an, mm -hmm. a, 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 an insane thing, smashing a bottle, a glass bottle on an ice rink. And she doesn't really react otherwise. She doesn't jump up. She doesn't run. Her face doesn't really make like a big, like my face would go like, <gasps> She like, cleans it up, she, for God's sakes. I know. I know. I know. 
You know what? That mm, I have watched some of, of those like Tuesday night movies when I was a kid kind of thing. Do you remember those when they would come on like mm-hmm. late at night? And man, I can remember there being a couple of like abuse storylines where, where the father specifically would like smash something. And then the very next line is clean that up. You know, like telling the, the mom to go clean it up. And like there's something so unbelievably just beyond like demoralizing, dehumanizing everything to break something and have this other person have to clean it up after you. Oh, my God. This episode, I mean, just talking through this episode out loud, I mean, talk about episode themes. This episode, just in scene after scene, interaction after interaction, just patterns in abusive behavior. Things, yeah. things that just show themselves over and over and over again in, in abusive relationships. And again, abuse doesn't have to be physical. It can be it could be emotional it can be verbal it can just be intimidation through fear that glass bottle shattering you know that was a learned behavior from neil and patty's father right just the way they've talked about him you know that's not the first time she's seen a glass bottle thrown to the ground in anger and shattered and had to clean it up and had to clean it up and had to clean it up they get banned from the ice rink because of this behavior now uh, we talked to alex bonifer Uh, you guys could go listen to our interview it's he is doing such a great job with neil this season he he really knocked it out of the park as the goofy norton he you know the the norton sidekick from season one has really given way to this complex moody angry sad complex character in season two this episode is great if you look at the still shots from when they are are on the ice rink there are some amazing shots of alex with a big smile on his face mid belly laugh and if out of context you're like wow that's a happy guy that i would like to have a beer with but in the context of the episode where where he's laughing at her because she's being a goof with the with the crate and the ice skating but then his face just falls. Do you know that scene I'm talking about? Like yeah. a curtain just falls over his face because he remembers, like he says in that clip we just played, this is not like every year. How could you think this is like every other year? And it all hits him in that moment. And that's when he starts to drink. And that's when the day kind of goes south. It's such a subtle change. But man, there's no doubt when it happens. You you see the change come over him. Yeah. It's it's like this dark cloud just yeah. just overtakes him. Yeah. I mean, obviously, being both banned from the rink is metaphorically important because, again, as far as Patty knows, this is the only reliable thing that happens on her birthday. And now that's been taken away from her. Like, it seems silly, right? But it, but it's important. But it's not a little thing. It is a huge thing that this thing has been taken away. It's their one connection to their childhood. It's a it's a connection that she had with her mom. And it's it's the thing that, you know, it kept them be like a family, too. Like it was like something that she and and Neil did as like a as family and to be essentially barred from being able to have those same family memories together. I mean, that is that's a super smack in the face for Patty that's like she wasn't ready for. I don't think they've processed anything about their childhood, much less the deaths of their parents or or anything like that. But I but you could you could see that in this. You could see the rawness of how much she still needs her family. I mean, remember, we learned last week in the flashback with Allison, the first night she meets Allison, she was drinking. What was it? Bally's. She was getting drunk on and throwing up at 11 behind the church. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, these kids did not have an 
easy childhood. They're not kids. I mean, just saying that. They're not kids. The arrested development as they may be. These are full-grown adults who emotionally did not get a chance to grow up in any kind of healthy way. I still think that you hold out that somehow, somehow you're going to be able to either like process your childhood or it sounds so silly because I mean, of course it can't happen. Like your childhood's over, it's done, right? But there you can hold out hope. And especially like the moments at the skating rink, she basically was reenacting being a little girl. I mean, she had the Mm -hmm. milk crates, like you said. Milk crates, you know. I mean, she was reenacting being little, you know, I, I doubt that she can't be more steady on her feet. She probably could, but right. that isn't the point. You know, she doesn't even want to be every year. She has a hard time. Right. Cause he even says to her, how are you not better at this? Right. Yeah. She, because she just froze in time. Uh, let's talk about a, a nice little Neil moment here. And again, I think this is just a credit to Alex and it's a credit to the writing when he first comes by to pick her up and she's getting ready. So he starts eating her pancakes that she's left. Yeah. And like, clearly they're disgusting, right? He takes a bite of it and he almost spits them out. <laughs> But he doesn't say they're gross. He says that they're good. He didn't need to do that. I thought that was actually a nice little sweet brother-sister moment that they absolutely did not need at all. But but it adds such a sweet sadness to this whole situation, to what's happened to them. And and because of that, I was like, oh, my heart, my, my, my little tender heart was, was just hurting because these two do need each other. And this wall of everything that's gone on is between them. A really sweet little brother brother to the sister moment when he doesn't tell her her pancakes are disgusting. I, I'm going to add to that, though, that it also really takes away the idea that Neil is just this bystander to this manipulation, though, like with Kevin. Here, he had a situation where he needed to manipulate Patty into doing certain things and needing, you know, needing to get her out of the house and that kind of stuff. And because we continue to see this when when it comes to Diane later and the way that he, you know, interacts with her in the conversation having to do with Pete and everything, you realize that he can play the game just as well as everyone else. He is not, you know, this dumb goof who doesn't know what to say to get a woman to do something. He 100% knows and he can turn on the charm when he wants to. And this was one of those times for me that I saw, yes, yes, it would be nice if it was totally just like a baby brother other comment but to me he needed her to go along he needed her to be happy and and willing to go and so he knew what to say he knew to compliment something like this would get her in a good mood and get her to go okay i see that i see that i'm gonna be a little more optimistic because i want to have my sweet brother sister moment here but where you're a hundred percent where you're a hundred percent correct is at the end of the episode where they've had this shitty day he's he's so fucking beyond over it he doesn't want to be around her I, neil doesn't know what he wants at this point but he says i have to go into kevin's house i need your help and Patty, of course, follows him inside the house, even though she doesn't want to go in fucking Kevin's house on her birthday. That's the last thing she wants to do. Right. But he says, he says the words. What did you tell me? The the four <laughs> words that every man could say to a woman. You need your help. That's all you have to say. But that's from writing in cars with boys. So that's that's a whole spiel that they give. That they give, give that, people a lesson because I didn't know this line. Oh, you had to, to you had to explain it. To, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I didn't know it, so you taught me. So you have to teach the listeners. Go watch it. It's in um, writing in cars with boys with Drew Barrymore. It's a great movie. I love it. Um, it actually reminds me a lot of this show in a lot of different ways. But basically, the the dad is estranged, and he gets to see his son when he's like eighteen for like two seconds. This is the lesson he. Choose 
chooses to share with him is like basically like if you want to get to your mom, like if you guys aren't talking and things are strained, all you have to do, all you have to do is look at her and say, I need your help. And she will instantly melt. And, you know, of course, it plays out that way. And um, and but but looking back on my own life, I'm like, damn, <laughs> I've been taken <laughs> like because, yeah, it's it instantly. And I'm not going to say it doesn't work the other way, too. I think if a woman, you know, were to come to you and, and or a friend or whomever, Mike, and say to you, I need your help. I think you would you you stop everything you're doing and listen in a different way. When someone says, I need your help, there's something so vulnerable. And so just open for a moment that it perks up ears, you know, and now if you overuse it, I'm sure the person's like, you say that all the time, but it works. For the most part, it works. I can say, especially on women, it really does work. Let's stay with Neil because I think Neil and Diane begin something in this episode that definitely feels like it's going to continue on because it comes at the end of this episode. Let's play, uh, let's play this clip here and then uh, talk about Diane and what's your excuse. Didn't feel like staying at the bar with the guys. Is that enough? Oh. Not when I've just been insulted and rejected by a man who I always thought of as my creepy uncle. Him and Kevin were joking. To who? That, on top of all the Chuck Michigas, means... I can drink this until peach-like flavor is coming out of my pores. I like the scene because when she calls him on, he says they were just joking. She says, to who? He doesn't respond. And, and it's a visual thing, but he stops and thinks about that. And you get the impression that he's never actually stopped and thought about that question before. Like, who is the butt of the joke and, and at whose expense is the joke and for whose benefit is the joke? I mean, it's it's the it's Allison's comments to him in the basement, you know, coming to roost, you know, he's hearing it from another character. Now, another person is saying the same things like, you know, when 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 people say things like that, you know, what does it really mean? Who are you really, you know, quote unquote, joking about or to or whatever? And I thought it was extremely poignant. And I mean, we obviously need to talk about how we end up with Neil and Diane in the backyard and and all that. But, you know, there's something to these two that I think they have their own shared trauma. They both have their Kevins, you know, uh, Diane's is named Chuck, but they have their Kevins and, and they, they're definitely going to find some comfort in one another. You can see that the, the fact that he chose to come and sit in the backyard with her. I know because we do many podcasts together. I, I know your take. <laughs> I know you, you definitely think this is a, at least a, a sexual romance, if not something else. But I think that the concept of shared trauma and finding someone who's as trying to work through things and, and pained themselves, uh, it feels right. It feels like they did a good job in matching them up, even though Diane, she seems so much older in, in that she like, you know, seems like she I don't know she had a really nice house. I'm going to keep going back to she had a really nice house. I don't know. I see. I do see these two getting together for sure. I mean, she checks mommy boxes for for Neil. Oof, yeah, the parenting. Well, because Patty has been his mom figure, and now that is less available, if available at all, to him. So Diane makes sense from a mommy figure for him. There is the everyone the the shared Kevin's right. She makes she already in in just a couple of lines makes him think in this scene more than he's maybe ever thought directly about Kevin and his humor because. If Diane is not the butt of the joke or the joke is not at her expense, 
and Kevin's jokes are always at someone's expense, well, even Neil could get to the point of realizing that maybe the jokes are at my expense. Maybe I am the butt of Kevin's jokes or the the one who's paying the price for his humor. They're just joking around. To who? Well, you know, maybe it's actually Neil. Maybe through Diane... Neil sees himself in the way she was treated tonight. Now, the backstory on this, just to refresh your memory, is that Kevin has decided he has to break up Pete from his new girlfriend, Lorraine. Lorraine of this. What was that? Did a demon just achieve its final, most powerful form in our kitchen? <laughs> that was no. Funny. My dad has a new girlfriend, and the girlfriend has... A laugh. I mean, just horrifying. Just absolutely horrifying. And a big props to uh, Lauren Weedman, who is playing Lorraine here. Uh, just, just uh, people will be talking about that laugh and, and in cringing for, I think, for months to come. Months to come. So. My kids are watching Friends, and the Janice episode just came on. Oh, and it, was, my God. <laughs> wicked flashbacks to Janice. Horrible laugh. Yeah, so Kevin, of course, decides that his grand plan is... The reason he gets so involved in helping put together a rager is because he wants to split Pete up from Lorraine and, and hook Pete up with Diane, his aunt via marriage because that's how kevin is of course it backfires spectacularly and then they really really mean i didn't pull the clip because but it's really really horrible the way pete and kevin and neil to a lesser extent go off on diane in the kitchen when pete realizes he doesn't want to have sex with diane and, and she's great granted she's not putting her best foot forward in the scene and it's very funny and, and you know the whole scene is actually is actually pretty amusing but it's also really fucking mean <laughs> like like they really they really make her out to be the buffoon of a joke she didn't even know she was participating in which is even more cruel and in another way, though, I want to say she's just acting like a normal person. Like, is she being like kind of crude and kind of like whatever about how she's like eating stuff or drinking stuff? Yeah, she is. But so is everyone else at the party. You know, like she wasn't trying to put her best foot forward with these three guys. They're just her family. You know, they're just her dorky family. You know, Kevin's her, her nephew and all this kind of stuff. Like, there's no like she's, she's the not creepy trying. uncle. Yeah, she's not trying to be like a sexual object or something to them. She's just hanging out at a party, you know, like. So what should she be doing exactly? Like, she's not supposed to be on all the time. Like, I, I felt like that vibe was definitely there. Like, what? why are you judging her so harshly? They, two seconds later, those guys are earlier. We're putting tape all over, you know, Neil's face. Like, you know, is he put, not putting his best foot forward as like an attractive man? Like, no, they're just always like acting like fools. But for the second, if she's not all refined, then, you know, there's something wrong with her, you know, like, no. Not for nothing, but the incredible tape man gives us maybe the most important <laughs> lesson of the episode, Caroline. What is that? Leave me a breathe hole. Listen, leave me a breathe hole. He was worried they wouldn't even have that level of concern for him. Not even to make sure he could breathe. <laughs> Guys, I, if you take nothing away from Kevin can fuck himself, leave me a breathe hole. It's important. You're laughing, but if that was the name of this entire thing, like you could kind of get it. Like all anyone wants in this is a freaking breathe hole. That would be enough. What, what's your take on 
Diane and her increased presence so far in the season. I mean, not to be spoilers, but we're going to see more of Diane. Uh, Jamie Dembo, who plays her, she is, if not a regular cast member of the season, she is in just about every episode and is definitely a recurring, uh, heavily recurring cast member in the season. You're going to see her a lot in the next four episodes. Are you happy that they've introduced her? I, I, we've talked a bunch about her relationship to Chuck as a future version of Allison and Kevin if right. things don't change. What's your feeling, though, given this episode kind of going forward i i definitely want to encourage our listeners to go and listen to that valerie armstrong interview that you did with her because i think that that really gives you know a lot of good background as to why diane is important she being a part of the cast creates this like this rock of like like we're not going to ignore what could happen to allison if she doesn't make a move like this is what is going to happen to her she's going to be the same person and i like that they don't let that person just fade into the background and allow the audience to forget about what the future could look like by putting her front and center for this episode and for and for future episodes it makes it to where you can't ignore the the sad you know motel life oh so sad when they follow her into the room and she just looks around like this is my life now so sad I mean, great, big props to jamie dembo who's playing Di- diane here we talk a lot about the physical bits and the physical comedy bits that eric brian and alex do and how funny it is so i think she kills it in that scene when she's eating Me the too. chicken wing and she's yeah. talking about her feet and oh she's <laughs> really really sending home some solid laughs so and i love that fact that though you that you bring up that she's like not putting her best foot forward because i think it's an excellent little moment listeners y'all like think through this on your own we won't go into detail on it about how you know a man or a woman is supposed to present themselves at some party like this like why can't she talk about her feet with her family why can't she be like oh i'm feeling like shit like she doesn't have to be quote unquote on just because she's a woman and these other guys can sit around and like you know pick out their wedgies you know every 10 seconds like we don't have to be sexual to every single person we're around we totally can't overlook the fact that it is none of Kevin's business who Pete dates, <laughs> right? Like, what the hell? And I'm loving that Pete is having that new date vibe, that, like, new girlfriend vibe. Oh, my God, his shirt, his hair, shut up, all of that. was He's like, getting sex. He's getting laid. Yeah, yeah. And then screaming like her. You can, like, tell that she would be like, oh, I like it when you wear your hair like this. Or, yeah. oh, I bought you this new shirt, this shirt that he would, like, never wear. Like, just loved it. I thought they did a great job of, like, filling out the that without even really giving us much explanation but if you just look at him you're like oh you are happy you are getting laid and you are in a new relationship i can tell by everything you're doing and saying and the most important part of pete getting a new girlfriend is the way kevin's reaction to it is you know even if she didn't have this Kevin would still have a problem with it because Lorraine is the baby. Lorraine is a dog. Lorraine is anyone trying to celebrate their birthday other than Kevin. They're all, she's a threat to focus being on Kevin. What is Kevin going to do if he doesn't have his father's undivided attention? He's already not having Neil's undivided attention and, and, and increasingly is noticing Neil is not around and, you know, and there's no signs that that's slowing up. Now Pete is going to be distracted. What is Kevin going to do? Kevin can only exist when there are people looking at him and paying attention to him. This is a problem for Kevin. Lorraine beyond the laugh, which is an ungodly noise to be, <laughs> to be fair and, and a hundred percent, uh, you but know, Pete agree. seems to be okay with He's into it. So like, uh, you know, if, if you're getting, if you're having sex, you know, and, and that laugh is the cost of doing business, 
hey, I mean, his hair looks great. I got to tell you, I love that shirt. I originally was going to send that shirt oh to Brian Howe to make fun of him about, but it's grown on me, and now I kind of have it pinned to my wall as maybe an aspirational <laughs> shirt. It's, oh it's grown on me, and uh, it, listen, she's good for Pete so far. So How about the fact that they even met because Kevin signs him up for a dance class just to hope he breaks his hip to have to go move into a home? And it turns out she's got two good hips, and, and they work. The speed in which they are throwing at us the the Kevin antics. I mean, if you think about season one, one antic, one thing would take up the entire sitcom portion. Now, you just have to listen line after line. Why does Pete even have a girlfriend? Oh, because Kevin had this antic-y move where he signed him up for dance class because he wanted him to go to a home. Like, And then now he's over here doing this with Diane. Like, now, I mean, it's just like boom, 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 boom. Like, it's coming at us fast and furious. Brian, I know you're listening. Please reach out to us and let us know if you got to keep that shirt when uh, when oh production God. wrapped. We have to Mike know. Would like a matching shirt. Would I, I like would like a matching shirt for sure, but I definitely want to know if you at least got to keep it. Uh, whatever the other souvenirs you took from set, I hope you got to keep that shirt from wardrobe. So <laughs> you got to put Diane on the pinboard here. The fact that they followed her to the motel yeah. is a, is a classic sign that with no other characters around, there was no one else in that scene. It was just Diane. That's the first time we've ever seen that it's a tv rule telling you you're gonna have to pay attention to this character we're gonna get more information about her so put diane on your pin board take that scene with neil there's something that's going to be brewing here so we're not we're not done with diane yet so buckle up I think we have to talk about Allison and Sam before we hit some uh, some miscellaneous odds and ends from the episode. She goes to him. She asks that she needs a favor. She needs to get into City Hall after hours. We talked already about how he assumes the very worst. And she kind of is like, no, I just got to steal a death certificate. Which, again, without context, that's not normal behavior, Allison. I mean, this is why people look at you so funny, because you say shit like, I have to steal a death certificate. Or I just have to steal a death certificate. I just need a death certificate. You know, Sam has been a mixed character for us. We initially really like Sam. Then I think we've been kind of mostly sour on Sam. I, I don't know how to feel about Sam here. I like that he is resist to helping her, but then he does help her in the end. He does come and he even says, your plan is horrible. I don't want anything to do with this, but here, here's a number of someone that can help you out. So he still gives her what she wants, even though he's saying this is a bad idea, but he's still doing it. I think it's very human. I I applaud him for trying to have some amount of boundaries, right? Being like, you can't be coming in here. You can't be doing this. Like, we're done. Like, just stop all this stuff. He's trying to be a little bit careful and protective of himself and everything. But at the same time, I mean, she says the word. She said, I need help. And so even though it takes longer for, for it to sink in, it works. It still works. And he still comes through. So, I mean, I was expecting Sam to be able to do something for her i thought this was actually pretty clever that they're that they could bring in this outside person that you know and and it made complete sense that you know he might need some hookup when he was starting up the restaurant it made sense i was cool with it i i i'm happy that it wasn't too contrived how he would have some connection to somebody you know and just a little Sam fact. Remember, Sam's uh, Sam's story with the restaurant is that Jen and Nen's parents <laughs> gave him the money, and in fact, are the owners of the restaurant. Right? That he's that's why he's yeah. he's worried about losing the restaurant with if he's going to get divorced from Jen and Nen because the parents are the ones who gave him the money and and fronted the whole thing. But this is a little extra wrinkle. The parents didn't get the liquor license done. A huge part of having a dining establishment. Sam did it. I like 
like that little detail because Sam didn't just rest on someone on something that someone gave him to. We don't know the details of it yet, but at least on its face, it seems like Sam himself did some hustle to get Bev's diner up and running in a way that he could actually run it. I like that. I like that point. Yeah, yeah, just a nice little, I mean, again, just these are complex characters. Valerie and her writing team have, have created complex characters. Even the ones, even Tammy we've shown in this episode has an aspect to her or an empathy to her when she's so inclined to display it, even though she keeps it guarded a lot. Everyone here, everyone on the show is complex. I mean, we haven't seen a lot from Kevin, but we've seen from Kevin in, in, in last season where he even has some complex moments. So just another little wrinkle to the Sam equation. Don't easily write him off as either a cuck or an asshole or, you know, whatever your feeling is about him. He's complex, too. And I think you're 100% right that it's human nature that he would come help her because she says she needs help, even though he thinks it's a bad idea. I think it's interesting. I'm curious about this. This is the first time she sets, she says out loud, I'm going to fake my own death to someone that's not Patty. It's really the first time she says it out loud as a plan to someone. That's kind of huge, no? Yes, yes, it is. I mean, I think the more that she says it out loud, the more real it is for us as the audience. And and the more uh, she seems committed to it. The The whole funeral home episode was creepy and weird, but it had enough of like the I don't know if this is really going to happen to it, that when she's like finally really saying this to Sam and you understand the next steps, it's like, oh, we're really doing this. We're, we're moving forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes it more real. Uh, let's hit on some odds and ends before we wrap up this episode. Kevin and Allison, we haven't really talked about their relationship much uh tonight but they both bond over the evil laugh the ungodly Mm -hmm. laugh when allison says shut up to him he seems to kind of dig it he raises an eyebrow he's kind of into the pushback in a way that's maybe a little gross but but also again this changing this changing tone of the of the multicam scenes yeah i agree with you i'm seeing a lot of that as well and a lot more pauses with him where he'll like actually look at her as if like he's never seen her before it's a couple times now where he pulls his head back and kind of takes her all in mm-hmm. and it's like who are you kind of yeah. way but he doesn't necessarily seem repulsed by it that's what's interesting he's kind of like yeah feisty which i you makes you wonder was there a time when she was like that before maybe years ago mm. that through being pushed down and being in, and being uh grinded upon that she's lost some of that fire that maybe some of that fire has returned to her belly that he's seeing because again he doesn't he seems a little bit into it as much as it offends him being questioned he also there's like a push and pull aspect to it so just to put it on the board just to just to point it out let's talk about chuck kevin says in the single in the multicam section he says chuck tracked down diane reminded her of what she's missing we compare chuck to kevin and i i made the case that chuck is kevin existing in the single cam even though we never see chuck we hear about his actions he smashes in billy the pi's window on the wagoneer now we hear that he tracked her down to south carolina showed her what she's missing imagine someone saying that imagine kevin saying that same line in the single cam imagine that dark lighting no laugh track no audience him saying he tracked her down showed her what she's missing that's a fucking menacing terrifying line to me it was scary. It was really scary and, and really made me like clutch my pearls kind of thing. Like I was like, what in the hell yeah. happened between Chuck and she comes back, but she goes to a hotel to take some time. I, my head is just 
like I, I I really have to like process more about like what even was that? I don't even know if I if I can understand exactly what that looked like. I'm sure we have listeners who can be like, I know exactly what that would look like and exactly what he said and exactly what went on here. But man, menacing as hell. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been saying it all season. Imagine if Kevin said that in the single cam. Imagine if he said that in a single cam. This was a great example of it. And again, talking about Chuck, Chuck, the Kevin of the single cam, Kevin reporting what he did in the multicam so we so it's light and we laugh and there's there's a laugh track and it's bright but it's a menacing line guys just look at it from a slightly different angle a couple things we we need to put on the board for next next week or just to keep in the back of your mind episode ends with tammy getting the vermont footage of when Allison and Patty went and got the pills and they attacked a truck driver or Patty specifically attacked a truck driver. She gets Vermont footage of Patty entering the convenience store at the gas station, recognizes Patty, camera pulls out, Patty is sleeping next to her in bed. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Any guesses on what this um what is this is this information she's going to use immediately? What does she do with this? God, I don't know exactly what she's going to do with it, but scary as hell that she 100% knows it's Patty and just the just the visual of Patty being asleep and unaware that Tammy knows. Oh, my heart. Would, oh, it, it, it definitely it was a cliffhanger moment where I was like, oh, my God. We set out in the first episode that that was an episode where people got brutal honesty and truth from people that they least wanted to get brutal honesty and truth from. It worked with Allison and Neil. It worked with Neil and Patty. They all got told something that got to them. It got through all their walls. It got through all their biases. It got to them and made them start thinking differently about how they had been doing things. I want to posit the idea of Tammy saying to Allison at the end of the episode, I'm here now and you need to back off for the good of Patty. That's something from an enemy, a harsh truth from someone she doesn't want to hear from. We have to put on the board if that becomes something that gets into Allison's brain. Is there going to be a part, especially with Allison trying to be a good friend? Allison is learning now. Allison is trying to hold up her end of the friendship bargain is this the kind of line that becomes important down the road? I think we have to put it on the board as something to hold on to. Will okay. there come a part where Allison feels like Patty will be better off if she's not there? Okay, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and with that, I, I think I think we're done with this episode. This was Jesus, Allison. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast Himself. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be great so that the show gets promoted more and gets more visibility. And you know what? We'll buy you some illegal menthol cigarettes if you do. Just send us your name, your address, and a five-star <laughs> And we'll get you some menthol so you don't have to take mints and smoke cigarettes at the same time. Because, God, that is disgusting. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.